Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live via Giants.com. I'm Paul Dottino along with Super Bowl champion Jeff Fiegels, and we've got a special show planned for you today. Our guest can give us some great perspective and insight on the coaching challenges that teams have to deal with during this offseason. He is Mike Sullivan, the football director of recruiting at Army West Point. Now, Giants fans will better know him as a two-time Super Bowl winner who spent 11 seasons on the Giants staff over two tenures between 2004 and 2017. He has coached football for nearly 25 years at both the NFL and NCAA level, and he has also been on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Now, I asked Mike, what are the key goals that a coaching staff has to get done during this part of the offseason calendar and how difficult it will be for them to achieve those goals because they're limited to virtual learning? Well, Paul, there's a number of areas that this time of year, things that would be occurring obviously are not occurring. And I think it starts off, number one, from a physical standpoint. You know, this period of time, the players come in and there's strength and conditioning that takes place. They're in the weight room with the strength coaches. They're out on the field. And all that take, all that occurs even before the coaches are able to go and get their hands on the players and go out and execute schemes and, and put plays in. And, and I'm talking well before the actual practices in the OTAs or the mini camps. And so now that's not occurring. And who knows, because all the players are from different parts of the country, how much access those players have to the strength and conditioning. I mean, you know, certainly they're, they're giving guidelines and they're getting workouts from their strength coaches. But in terms of the type of shape that the players are in, that's going to be a big question mark. I think along those same lines, uh, and Biggs can attest to this, so many players will have surgeries that occurred at the end of the season or, uh, or uh, maybe even within a couple months of this uh, pandemic occurring, you know, the rehabilitation, you know, they're not able to have access to the team doctors and the trainers and, and the rehab. And so where they're at right now is another big question mark and a couple of things that normally would be occurring that aren't occurring. And then you touched on it from the standpoint of the actual implementation of schemes you know, there's going to be meetings that are taking place right now uh, via Zoom or FaceTime, whatever the case may be. But, you know, so much of the implementation of the scheme, you know, putting in the entire offense, having those position meetings, doing all those things in preparation for going out onto the field, you know, that's hindered as well. And so when you look at those two areas, you know, that that's going to be a big disadvantage. And I think along those same lines, and, and we can touch on this a little bit more if you'd like, but I think how kids learn, how the players learn. Um, those who are veterans who have been in a system for several years, it's going to be easier than the rookies coming in. I think you look at certain teams that have new coaching staffs, new coordinators. You know, there is no substitute for being able to get out on the field and, and get that muscle memory, you know, to execute a, a, a skill or a fundamental. But I think also when we talk about how kids learn, even when you're in a system that you've been in for several years, when new players come in, whether it's via the draft or free agency, there's still the type of learning that requires uh, an individual to go out and walk through, have those extra uh, reps, if you will, where it's not full speed, but you take them out onto the field and you set them and, and you stand on a landmark, you're at the, the bottom of the numbers or on the hash mark, whatever the case may be, but you're walking through it. And a lot of players... Uh, learn better that way. You know, very few will learn just from the standpoint of, okay, here's the PowerPoint slide or the Visio slide of the play and the diagram. You know, they need to get out and walk it through. And so I think it's going to be a challenge. You know, certainly I'm sure the coaches are all using uh, very detailed video cut-ups to try to teach concepts. They're answering questions. They're trying to be as interactive as possible. But 
learn at different speeds and in different ways. And I think that's going to be a challenge to try to get that implemented uh, during this pandemic. You know, you have sat in so many meetings. You've been in so many um, rooms as far as position-wise. The quarterback room. All we've been hearing this offseason, you know, the Giants went out and signed a couple of new quarterbacks who were familiar with the game, familiar with Jason Garrett's system. Um, Daniel Jones, they talked about that meeting room. What is so important about having these young quarterbacks all together and, and what's the camaraderie, if you will, if it's in that quarterback room that means so much that everybody's been talking about? Well, I think a couple things when it comes to that position, as everyone knows, it all runs through the quarterback. And, and I think there has to be harmony between the coaching staff and the quarterback. And that's kind of a captain obvious statement. But by that, what I'm talking about is the discussion, the dialogue, the, the understanding of the why, the intent of every play and every concept and how it all comes together. And I think when you have a quarterback room with a good mixture of a veteran, uh, with some young guys and, and with somebody that has experience in the system, particularly in, 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 a, in a team where there's a new offense, if you will. Um, a lot of the discussion, uh, you know, Eli has said this many years ago, and I, I've, I've, I've it stayed with me. A good quarterback room is a noisy room. And that means it's not just the quarterback coach or the coordinator or if the head coach is involved with the offense, uh, he's doing the talking. But there is great uh, interaction amongst the, the quarterbacks themselves. And everyone is, feels comfortable to ask questions and to offer up suggestions and have an insight. And, and, and through that cumulative effort, you come up with what are the best course of action and how is the what's the best way to understand things and, and kind of rank plays, if you will, and, and, and move forward in terms of the development of the scheme, of development of the quarterback. And so I think uh, that camaraderie you're talking about, it is good because, you know, there can always be a, a little bit of uh, shops that are busted. There's going to be a little bit of fun that, that takes place. But there's also a great deal of work and a great deal of, of information that can be gathered uh, through that cumulative process. And so I would imagine that's something that would take place uh, certainly via Zoom. But as we all know, there's a little bit of a challenge, you know, to, to doing that virtually. But I think it'll still be important not just to, uh, have everyone together to learn a new system, but also to be able to have that interaction uh, amongst themselves and with the coaching staff. How much is it, is it as far as installation goes, um, is, do you think that the quarterbacks are getting a little bit further ahead of the rest of the team at this point just because they are who they are and they need to understand the system, or is it all implemented together? I, I think they are. I'm sure they are, and I think that's the nature of the position. I think that'd be pretty standard for all 32 teams, and I think there's going to be challenges uh, with new staffs or quarterbacks who are on new teams, whatever the case may be, but that's that's the nature of that position. They have to be the leader. They have to uh, understand what everybody does, and I'm sure there's been an awful lot that uh, they've done on their own, uh, and they have a notebook, spiral notebook full of questions uh, that they may have and, and, and suggestions that they may have and insights, but there's no doubt in my mind uh, that, that, that they've definitely taken uh, the, the, the bull by the horns here and are, are ready to, to move forward with this thing. Mike, as an aside to that, obviously the quarterback position is very unique, but you know, you've coached both sides of the ball again throughout your career. After the quarterback, do you think there is a second most important position or most difficult position that a new coaching staff has to come in and teach? Uh, yeah, that's a great question, Paul. I, I think, you know, when it comes to what's most difficult, what takes the most amount of time when you talk to, um, 
defensive coaches. I, I coached on defense in college. Uh, my first year in the NFL was on defense, and then the rest of the time it's been on the offensive side of the ball. But if I had to pick the areas on each side of the ball that consume the most amount of time, that require the most amount of teaching, the most amount of repetition, uh, offensively, it's pass protection. You know, it, it, it's still about being able to throw the ball, of course, but then it, you can have all these great concepts, but if you don't have an understanding of the protections and the concepts to pick up uh, basic blitzes, let alone some of the exotic blitzes and some of the adjustments that occur based upon uh, formation, etc., the pass protection is something that is very, very time-consuming in some schemes more than others, but essentially still something that is, is going to require more, most of the amount of orchestration. So your offensive line and your backs, and depending upon the system, you know, your, your tight ends and receivers may be involved in terms of side adjust and hot. So, you know, the pass protection component, that's going to, of course, uh, emphasize the, the offensive line with the quarterback being tied into that as well, and certainly the, the, the running backs. But I think that offensively is going to be the most time-consuming. And defensively, it's the adjustments. It's the fact that not everybody lines up in I-right, or not everyone just lines up in an empty. The ability with the shifts and the motions and 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 how offenses can create, offenses, I should say, excuse me, can create formations that will try to stress the defense. And, and being able to have a call, whether it's just a, a front or a coverage or a pressure, and be able to adjust that to different looks, to the multiple to the multiple looks. And then you look at some of the teams that are a little bit more unusual, the Baltimores of the world, in, in terms of what they're doing with some option-oriented <laughs> uh, type looks and having multiple tight ends. You know, to be able to, you can have a base package, and this would apply, I think, both to offense and defense, you know, your core foundation, but to be able to adjust that. And I think, again, offensively, the, the pass protections. Defensively, just how do you go ahead and have a certain call adjust based upon a motion or a shift or a different look or a different personnel grouping? That's going to take a lot of time. Uh, I should say, would take the most amount of time uh, moving forward with with what they're doing here in the offseason. To build off of that for one second, Mike, I remember when the last CBA kind of dragged on a little bit and it scrunched training camp before you guys started the season. How difficult is it to get those things accomplished if there is little or no training camp? I think it's a huge challenge, and, and we were fortunate. If you go back to that 2011 I mean, we had been in the same offense there for several years, and Eli Manning had been in that offense for several years, and Kevin Gilbride had been the coordinator for several years. So, you know, there were a few new faces uh, in terms of draft choices, in terms of um, free agency, but the core remained the same. And I think from that standpoint, it wasn't as much of a challenge. You know, we had been in that system, had years of cut-ups, had, had, had uh, years of seeing what some of the issues were and how teams were trying to defend what we were doing. And, and of course, there were a few pleasant surprises, of course, of Victor Cruz and his emergence that year and so forth. But, but uh, it wasn't as much of a challenge for us as, say, other teams that were putting in a brand-new offense or had a new offensive coordinator. And I think if you look to the season, I'm, that's not to say that uh, teams that – have new coordinators, um, new new coaches, etc. Uh, we'll have a chance. I'm not saying that by any means, but I think that when you look at the Kansas cities of the world, the Baltimore's of the world, uh, San Francisco, Minnesota, for just just tossing those out, they've had very little turnover in their coaching staffs. They have the coordinators. They've got their quarterback is the same guy that they had last year, and their core of players remains the same. And so it's just a matter of bringing the rookies and some of the new additions through free agency up to speed. But I think those teams, will, especially now, will be at a distinct advantage because, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's such a, a 
greater limitations, as we all know, because of everything that's going on, uh, limitations of what can be done in the offseason. Uh, Mike, you know, you talk about rookies. Um, there's a lot of them going to be on this team, and, and Coach Joe Judge is bringing in guys that fit the mold of that New England Patriots team that we always talk about, uh, both physically, mentally. He wants football players, smart guys, versatile. Um, the Giants drafted a tackle, Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, big guy. Um, you talk about the cohesiveness with the offensive line and, and how difficult it is to teach that position. What do you think some of the, of the difficulties he's going to have? Now, he's coming from a big program. Um, he was a big-time player there. You will see out of him and struggling a little bit if there is uh, uh, in a certain area that he has to work on, um, not knowing about anything. Well, I, I think it, it, he will be, like many of the rookies, behind the eight ball from the standpoint that I'm sure, uh, as you mentioned earlier, being up to speed with Zoom and, and being comfortable with that and learning virtually, uh, there'll be some familiarity. And I think I'm sure all the coaching staffs will work their tails off to be as creative as they can and, and, and provide as much uh, visual uh, teaching as, as they can. But there still is no substitute to being able to go out there and communicate, make the calls with the adjacent linemen, uh, have these pressures come at you and be able to go ahead and walk through, you know, do it full speed, make the mistake, okay, great, get back into the meeting room, create, you know, learning off of seeing yourself do something. You learn immediately in terms of the reinforcement uh, from the coach, sometimes not so pleasant, sometimes positive, whatever the case may be, but it's corrected on the spot. But then, boom, we're on to the next play, and, and this repetition takes place. And even if it's in a jog-through scenario or if it's full speed out of practice, then there's the, the teaching that occurs after the fact, being able to sit in the meeting room and, and be able to ask questions, being able to have the coach be able to explain, being able to have one of the veteran players be able to point out about the fact that, hey, here's the look that you should be anticipating when the linebackers are, are shifted over, bossed or bowed would be the terms we would use to one way or the other. Hey, that's a good tell if this is coming. So much of that communication is not going to take place. So that's going to be a challenge for those guys where they're really going to have to immerse themselves in the scheme and, and, and coaches are going to have to, as best they can, have detailed cut-ups, um, but along those same lines, I, I think another uh, challenge for organizations, you know, we already talked about from a, the physical standpoint of the players, the schemes with the coaches, but an evaluation. I mean, just the standpoint that, you know, over the years I was in the league, that 90 number of who was going to training camp, that fluctuated with some guys and some of the looks that yeah. you'd have, uh, you know, the coaches and the, and the personnel uh, being able to evaluate these players. And that evaluation, it's not like you wake up in September and boom, here's your 53. You know, you, that evaluation process is ongoing by the coaching staff and by those personnel and the general managers in terms of, you know, how guys go out there and, and perform on the practice field. How are they in the meeting rooms? How all the things that they're doing, uh, it's going to be hard to do. You're going to have to really, uh, it's going to put the pressure, I should say, on the coaches and the personnel to make those very accurate evaluations because you don't have as much time to take a look at them. Mike, when you were with the Giants, you had the opportunity to work with Eli Manning, so I need to ask you about Daniel Jones, his successor. I know you're still in the area, obviously working at West Point. What do you see out of Daniel Jones? And quite honestly, what would you recommend he did to deal with the ball security issues? I remember how Tom Coughlin and Gerald Ingram helped Tiki Barber with that many years ago. Well, I've been very impressed with him I, I, from afar. I, I don't know him. All, all that I have, I've, have, have read and, and everything that people say about him so much, about his demeanor, is, is very similar to Eli. He certainly had the opportunity to learn from and work with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, a future Hall of Famer, Eli Manning. So that's a, that was beneficial for him. 
I think his uh, mobility and his ability to extend plays, and you look at some of the very good things that he did, uh, I think there's, there's a very, very bright future for him and for the Giants and with him as the quarterback. You know, when you get to the terms of the ball security, I'm sure the coaches have brought that to his attention. I'm sure that he's aware of that. I think it just it just comes down to it's from a point of emphasis, two hands on the ball where you're moving in the pocket and, and, and realizing that, you know, as much as you want to make a play, sometimes you got to throw the ball away or you take the sack. All those things will, 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 will come in uh, naturally to him with experience, and he certainly got a lot of great uh, reps last year. And so I've uh, been very impressed with him, and I think that, that you know, everything that he, that he brings to the table it, it definitely is going to be a reason for Giant fans to be optimistic for the future. Last one for me, Mike. Um, you talked about the offense of the Giants and being new. Um, how important is it for uh, a guy like Saquon Barkley? You know, he's, he's excited, I'm sure, because the Giants have, have addressed the offensive line position. And when we talk about run blocking and guys, you know, making holes and stuff, how, how important is it for him uh, to know and understand that you have a new offense coming in? But he's got to be very excited about having that offensive line, the new one in front of him. Well, I, I'm sure he's excited about that. And quite frankly, I would imagine uh, Daniel Jones is excited about that. And, and, and plus, when you, you know, so much of the emphasis, and I say emphasis, you know, the spotlight shines upon the quarterback, the spotlight shines upon uh, the backs of the receivers. But none of that happens. And you go back to the great teams that the Giants had and the Super Bowl team that, that, that you were part of things there. And, 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 and when it comes down to the guys in the trenches, the stability there, uh, being able to protect the passer, and then being able to open those holes, and the two go hand in hand. So I think there should be a lot of optimism uh, with the fact that they're building this thing from the ground up, and, and he's an amazing talent. He's fun to watch as well. And, and again, and not someone that I know, but certainly I've heard a great deal about, and, and a special talent, and, and a, a great competitor, and I'm sure that uh, with these new teammates of his, you know, that's, that's kind of the final challenge, I should say, about this offseason. You know, we've touched upon some of the other things, the evaluation, the physical, the scheme, but finally, I think the camaraderie, just being able to develop those relationships, you know, and, and have that time playing a game in the locker room or just busting chops or, or having, you know, going out to, to eat somewhere, you know, that there's so much to be said for the team building that occurs during this during this period of time and, and with some of the veteran players and some of the some of the future players like a Saquon getting to know some of those young offensive linemen getting to, to develop a relationship and that's going to establish a, that amount of trust and respect that goes a long way that foundation that is built it just again just doesn't happen on opening day and so uh, that's going to be important as much as possible maybe there's some extra Zoom calls or an extra FaceTime or an extra uh, text message whatever the case may be but the more that I think guys can try to establish a relationship particularly with those new players that are either new free agents or the draft choices to try to do that team building I think that's going to be critical during this period of time. Mike I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about coming full circle you're, you're an Army guy you're back at Army now as the head of football recruiting recruiting up there, and obviously you walk into a situation now with this virtual learning because of the pandemic that is something that was totally unexpected. What kind of challenges are you dealing with that you never could have imagined during your entire football career? Oh, no doubt. It, it, well, first off, it is, it is a blessing. It's very exciting to be back where it all started for me uh, as the director of recruiting at Army West Point back here, and, and I was on the job for about a week, and then the pandemic hit, so everything has been virtual and along those same lines because certain things were limited meaning that we weren't able to have spring practice for example uh 
the NC2A had modified a few rules, and there's a couple things that are unique to the service academies, but the long and short of it is it's been full-speed recruiting. I mean, it has been nonstop. And, again, I haven't been in college football since 2001 uh, and before Twitter and social media and, and just the volume and trying to get myself up to speed with all this has just been a tremendous challenge. Uh, but uh, it's been a, a thrill working here with these coaches and with Coach Monken. And I, I wish I could say I'd gotten to know the players, but unfortunately uh, when I got hired – Two days later, they went on spring break, and they haven't come back yet. <laughs> and so I haven't had as much interaction with the players up here. But the recruiting side has, has been enjoyable. Uh, really enjoy the evaluation aspect of things and looking forward to being able to get to know and work with the players here and then go out and find uh, the young men across the country who will be a good fit for our, our, our academy uh, leaders and, and have the academic uh, potential to succeed here and, and, and have a sense of service. And are also great football players. I mean, it's, it's exciting time. I mean, you, you know, University of Oklahoma is on the schedule. The Sooners are coming to Mikey Stadium on the west banks of the Hudson. Man, we're excited. I'm <laughs> real thrilled about everything and, and, uh, and, and looking forward to it. So thank you for asking. Well, Mike, I should even ask you another question. You may not even know the answer to this, but, you know, the NFL is proceeding. They've already released their schedule, and they're hoping that everything works out, but everything is subject to change. Do you even know up at West Point uh, what your schedule looks like? Are they proceeding as if everything is, is going to go ahead as planned? You know, we're, we're unfortunately in, in kind of a holding pattern in terms of not really getting any definitive information. Our schedule is our schedule, uh, and we, everything is still tentative at this point. You know, we've, we've had a few things that, you know, like I mentioned spring football uh, was canceled because of the pandemic when we had it scheduled, and a couple of things that you'd have in terms of recruiting days in June and, and in May and so forth are, are, have been postponed. Uh, right now, we're optimistic and holding out hope that uh, things will continue to develop and, and move in a positive direction and, and we'll be able to move forward with our schedule but we don't have anything that's definitive I, I would say you know the NFL with 32 teams and, and regionally being able to organize it and, and do a little bit less to manage than the 100 plus Division One football teams and then the FCS schools Division Two, Division Three. Uh, so I, I imagine there'll be some challenges I know people, I'm sure folks uh, uh, well above my pay grade a lot smarter than me <laughs> working through the details with that uh, and so optimistic and just hopeful and in the meantime we're just grinding away and trying to get the best football players uh, uh, those that are are, are going to be the right right type of players for us uh, to meet the challenge and, and come up here and succeed and enjoy the incredible life changing experience of West Point Army football that is West Point football director of recruiting Mike Sullivan, a former two-time Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants as a member of their coaching staff. Jeff, it's always good to hear from Sully again. Absolutely, and I know that he's he's probably ecstatic the position he's in to get back up there at West Point. Um, what a storyteller. Uh, you heard me mention the back of the bus. I can't tell you how many stories he told us about being an Army Ranger. I mean, he was a paratrooper, a guy going out of the you know, middle of the night, dropping into uh, Nicaragua, things like that. It was just, in, just you know, talk about football. It's fun. You should have listened to some of these stories he would tell. But he is a great man, of, full of knowledge with football, and it was great to have him on the show. When you talk to a guy like that, it brings back so many memories mm -hmm. of the Giants' championship days, and they're trying to get back there now. And as they proceed forward, looking ahead to what may or may not be a training camp, there's an item that came out from Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated uh, just some hours ago. 
talking about how a number of teams are already exploring out-of-state training camp sites in anticipation of state restrictions that could still linger into late July and early August as the NFL tries to implement its 2020 schedule. Now, why does that kind of uh, make an interesting twist to this whole thing? Well, Jeff, it's because, as you remember, in yesteryear, teams used to go out of town for training camp, unlike now when everybody wants to have training camp at home. Yeah, it, it you know it just sets up for a whole different set of circumstances that are just so logistically difficult. Um, you know, years past, you always knew that the Giants were going to be wherever they were going to be. You know, up in Albany, they every year you knew that at, as an organization, there were certain times when you had to start packing up the weight room. There were certain times when the video department was doing this. I mean, Paul, there's nobody at the facility. So, you know, there's going to be, this is just, I, I, listen, I, I, you got to do what you got to do. I just feel like it's just not as easy said as, as it's done because you got a hotels, you're going to have to find, the, you got medical staff, you've got trainers. There's a lot of moving parts to this, but bottom line is the Giants and just like the other 31 teams are trying to find a way to get this thing jump started. And unfortunately, in our area, Paul, as you know, that we're kind of a little bit behind the eight ball because we are have been the epicenter here. So things have moved a little bit slower. And, you know, Governor Murphy and and Governor Cuomo, they're doing the best they can. But it may force the Giants and the Jets um, to go maybe to another state where they've lacked. Now, I don't mean that by a way like lax, like, you know, inappropriately lax, but just some of the rules have been able to open up things and they're able to go and do it. So we'll see what happens. Um, but ultimately, the best would be them to stay at the facility and get back to normal. And, uh, you know, we're not talking about a normal time, as we discussed with, with Soli in this, in this Zoom era and this virtual learning. It's difficult. Very difficult. Well, Jeff, we're talking about the 10 teams in the Northeast Corridor and on the West Coast. Because of where the pandemic has hit the hardest, they are the ones that could potentially be affected the most. And as you said, the Giants and Jets in New Jersey, obviously part of that group. But I ask you this, safety is safety. And the concerns about making sure that everybody involved is going to be okay is primary. I want to ask you from a football perspective. We know for years that Tom Coughlin always favored training camp out of town because he thought it was better for the team to bond. And he was never one who necessarily wanted to have training camp at the home base. But that's what it turned into. So I ask you this, especially given that teams have been dispersed by virtual learning for months during the offseason, might it be a really good thing and something you could take advantage of if a team is sent away for a miniature training camp out of town? Well, yes, I think because of you heard Mike Sullivan talk about, you know, it's imperative that you can on the field training is really what you need because some guys learn differently. You know, it's, it's, it's not that easy to describe a play from a zoom and, and doing cut ups. Um, you know, when you're out on the field, you have the visual, you have the idea that you know what a hundred yard field is like, you know, what it's 52 and a half. You know, you understand what I'm saying? So yeah, get them all together. That's a good thing. Um, you know, it's just a safety issue. You just got to be able to make sure that all the players are being tested and, and that no one's going to get sick. And, and if they can do that, then absolutely 100% it's the right thing to do. Well, Jeff, I'm not even talking about getting these guys on the field because I'm sure if they well, are allowed I, to I, go to their home facilities, they'll be on the field. But I mean the bonding aspect of it, well, where sure. guys can hang together. Yeah, and, and you get a little bit of that 
with staying at your own facility, Paul, as you know, you hang around there mm-hmm. as much as you do during the football uh, training camp. The guys don't really leave anymore. They're just they're set <laughs> yeah, up. That. That's so true. <laughs> it's that they're forced to be around each other where, you know, up in training camp, you actually got a little little time to get away. Um, go back to your room and take a nap and, um, you know, but again, at nighttime, the guys hung out together, uh, played cards and watched videos and, you know, and now in today's world, you can watch Netflix together and things like that. So I think, yes, from a camaraderie standpoint and, you know, for the Giants perspective, Paul, this would be really good because not only are the players need to get to know each other, the coaches need to get to know these guys too, because this is a brand new, brand spanking new staff. And uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of coaches that have never met their players. Think about this. The, the new coaches have never met their players. When you think about that, that is ridiculous. And we are sitting here um, in the middle of May. And to think that the Giants coaches have only met their, 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 you know, their guys on Zoom and not in person is pretty amazing. It well, really you know, is. There are a few assistants who have yet to meet me, but that might be a good thing for them. <laughs> That's definitely a good thing for them. You know, there's no question. Um, I've had, as you know, some contact with some of these coaches uh, over the last few months. And, you know, I keep asking them what their biggest challenge is. And most of them have been telling me is the fact that they it's the personal stuff. You know, they can't you can say all you want with Zoom, but they're all the guys are there at once. Right. Um, So the personal time, the one on one time is what they're missing with the players, because there might be one guy that's better at something than the other. And you would love to have a little more one on one time with that person. But um, I don't know what the rules are as far as the collective bargaining agreement. I know that I read something about you had a maximum of so many hours a day that they're allowed to be on there. And let me just tell you something, Paul, and you know this coaches will take that time up to the last second of when they have to, they have to get off of that Zoom call. If you're if you're allowed to be on there for 4 hours, they will be on there for 3 hours and 59 minutes and 58 seconds. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. All right, I want to go to another story that came out uh, on nfl.com. This one was written by Bucky Brooks as you know, a longtime NFL analyst. And he came out with a list of the top five backup quarterbacks in the NFL going into this season. Now, he lists Jacoby Brissett with the Colts as number one, Andy Dalton of the Cowboys as number two, Case Keenum of the Browns at number three, Jameis Winston of the Saints at number four, and Marcus Mariota of the Raiders at number five. Mm -hmm. I ask you, given the fact that the Giants quarterback landscape has changed with Eli Manning retiring, Daniel Jones has behind him Colt McCoy, Cooper Rush, and Alex Tanney. At least that's that's the veteran list. Yeah. We also know that Case Cookus, uh, the rookie undrafted player uh, from One uh, AA or FCS football, is also around. How well do you think the Giants are stocked in the quarterback room that they'll be able to handle things if needed be? Well, if you look at that list of the top five that Bucky Brooks put together, all those guys have started seasons. Um, and played in the NFL and have multiple games under their belt. So I can see, you know, why those guys are there. Um, I guess Colt McCoy is a guy that would probably, to me, you know, a guy that has done what he's done. He, he's been a not really a journeyman, but he's just been there in case things have happened. So I think the Giants are in good shape there. I, I feel like he's a guy that can come in and um, could he finish the season if he had to? Yes. Um, can he come in there in relief if something happens to Daniel for a week or two? Yes. Um, but I feel like, you know, and with Cooper, 
uh, here's a guy that doesn't have much experience, but he has a lot of experience with Jason Garrett and that group. So I think collectively those things I think is a good thing for Daniel Jones, and I think it's a good situation for the Giants. Now Alex Tanney and the other guy, I don't I don't know what they're gonna what they what's in store for them. But as we've talked about this before, Paul, if you are a new guy, I mean, excuse me, if you're a new staff and these are not your guys, uh, you're up against the you know the wall a little bit. You don't you don't understand. You know they want to bring in their own people. And so you better show them that you want to stick around by doing something. And I just don't know how much time any of these guys are going to have. Paul, you and I have discussed off the air many, many times that there's so much stuff that's going on. We don't know when. No one knows how soon the season's going to start, how long the season's going to be. So I think experience here counts. And when you talk about that quarterback room that I mentioned with Sully, what counts is, you know, McCoy, who's been around a while. Right, and then well, well, let me stop you there. McCoy, with twenty-eight starts over his nine previous NFL seasons, well, he's got nine seasons. He's got nine seasons in the NFL. He's the only one of the Giants' backups who has started an NFL game. Does that give him a leg up on the number two job? Even though Cooper Rush has three years of experience, non-starting under Jason Garrett when they were with the Cowboys, one hundred percent gives him the upper edge. Because I'm looking, and if I'm the coach right now, and I'm thinking the first play of the twenty twenty season Daniel Jones goes down who am I going to feel more comfortable with going into the rest of the season it's going to be Colt McCoy no question um, Cooper Rush can have all the experience he wants in the meeting room but he doesn't have the game time experience so and maybe that's something that changes as the season goes along in practice but the immediate future I would say that would be Colt McCoy 100 percent so we go on to another item which I also found on NFL.com from uh, Mark Sessler who says that the Patriots and Ravens are among the NFL teams that will have the biggest chip on their shoulders as they go into this season. And I would ask you, how big a chip on the Giants' shoulder do you, do you think there is? Hmm. Well, I think they're different chips. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I think that you know, the two teams that you mentioned before, those, those teams are in a situation where they can have chips on their shoulders because I, they feel they can win the Super Bowl. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you. The Giants are not going to win the Super Bowl this year. Uh, they're just too new. They're too raw. They're too young. Um, and you know, so the chip I have on my shoulder, if I'm the Giants, is all the naysayers that are telling me how we're not going to win two, three, four games. We're going to have we're ranked in the power rankings, 32, 31. These are different chips, and this is kind of a motivational chip. If I'm a Giants player and a Giants coach, to show all those people that hey, you can talk all you want about us. Um, and we don't really care about you. We're just going to come out and we're going to do the best we can and we're going to build this thing for the future. And those are the types of chips I'm talking about. If you're the other two teams, you got, you got winning squads there. And, you know, you look at the Ravens year in and year out, they're always in the mix. Mm-hmm. And so are the Patriots. Winning breeds winning, as Bill Parcells used to say all the time. And the Giants need to get back to that. I would say this. Mm-hmm. I do think that Joe Judge with some of that Saban and Belichick mentality that he brings with him. And again, he is going to be his own person. But because of that environment and that attitude and that philosophy that he has gleaned from those guys, that kind of in itself has an inherent chip on its shoulder, don't you think? A hundred percent. And, you know, he will bring that type of attitude. And, you know, it's and a lot of times you hear this from people that, you know, the team takes on the personality of the coach, Right. And I feel I find that to be true. 
Um, I really do. If you've got a coach that's like a lackadaisical player's coach, you know, the, the team becomes lackadaisical. When you've got a guy like Tom Coughlin who preaches discipline, rules, and everything, your team becomes discipline and rule followers. I think this is going to be the same way with Joe Judge. He wants athletes. He wants players. He wants guys to show up to work every single day and love football. They can, can learn and be able to understand what the guy, what the coaches are teaching them. They're going to take on that personality. And yes, that will come with that type of chip that you're talking about. Well, let me build off of that personality component because Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge have both said that it's the offensive line that on the field leads to whatever personality your team is going to develop. And it's quite clear that that's one of the reasons that Mark Colombo was brought in from the Dallas Cowboys, joining Jason Garrett on this staff, because Colombo was a rough and tough, snot-knocking offensive lineman when he played in the NFL. Yeah, I think there's some toughness always needed at the, the offensive lineman position. And sometimes, you know, you can be called finesse and be a great player, but when it comes right down to it, what do you want for out, of, out of five of your offensive linemen? Gritty, downright, mean, nasty. You know, that's the type of attitude that I think that Joe Judge wants his offensive lineman to be. And he went out and got a guy that was just the same. I mean, Mark Colombo, Paul, you've seen him in the, in the uh, lunchroom. He is a monster. I mean, he is a big dude. And obviously he's lost some weight since his playing days. But he is just... He's a, I mean, a, a skyscraper, as you would say. The guy is humongous. What would you put him at weight-wise now? Because remember now, he he played at like 6'8", what, 3'10", 3'15"? He's probably or around maybe, 285 he... pounds now. I mean, he's. You'll remember, when you're 6'7", 6'8", you can carry 280 pretty good, right? Well, they listed him as playing at 320. I wasn't sure if he was quite that right, large so because just... he carries it well. You know, well, he's yeah. very tall. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, let's just say he lost 45 pounds and make him a 285 right now. I mean, really? <laughs> but I, I, more importantly, I think that when you – see, listen, from an ex-player's perspective, I was never able to have a coach that ever played my position or even played the other position, the kicking position, right? So it was very difficult for us to have a lot of confidence in some of these coaches, um, except when you were really young. Um, to kind of figure out that they really knew what they were talking about. Um, now, as I got older and I was around some coaches that have been in the league a long time and they've coached the position, I became a little bit more, um, I guess I would, I would kind of maybe listen to them a little bit. Tom Quinn was one of those guys. Um, T T uh, McGahee was another one of those guys. Colombo has played the position. He played it at a high level. So I feel like there's so much credibility from a player's perspective listening to a guy like that who has been in the trenches with the other linemen, and now he's coaching the position. See, that to me means that he's going to be able to teach these guys the tricks to the trade. He's going to be able to help them with little things that maybe, you know, an offensive lineman coach has never been in the trenches and been on a first, second, or third down play. So that is important to me, and I think it was a great hire by Joe, Hutt, Joe Judge to go get this guy. I think it's going to be tremendous, especially for all the young guys that they just drafted and signed. Well, of course, it helps that Ben Wilkerson, the Giants' assistant offensive line coach, also spent some time as a player. Absolutely. At, by the way, not only in the NFL for a few years, but before that at LSU, which is a darn good program. <laughs> 100%. And, and you know what I'm talking about there, Paul. I just feel like, you know, and I, here's another position I'll throw at you. Jerome Henderson. The defensive back coach, another guy that played the position, mm -hmm. um, is going to help that. Spent some uh, Jason, time with the Jets. 
Yes, absolutely. And Jason Garrett, obviously, we know that situation. So there's a lot of a lot of times that guys do go into coaching and, and become good coaches, and I just feel it's so important to have a few of those guys on your staff at the most important places to teach. And you heard Mike Sullivan say that. Offensive lineman, aside from the quarterback position, is probably one of the more difficult areas to teach. And, um, you know, when you got a guy that's been in the situation he has before, like Mark Colombo, it may be a little bit easier to teach these guys because he understands the positions. And I must confess, I was surprised when Mike said that. And that's why I asked him the question. Where aside were you from thinking? the Well, because I said aside from the quarterback, and I thought he was going to tell me the quarterback of the defense. Okay. I really did. And that can be the middle linebacker. Some On some teams, it's the safety who calls yeah. a lot of the shots. I did not expect him to say it was the offensive line. But that was a great answer. And, uh, hey, you know, that's why we have guys like Mike Sullivan on the program. Yeah. Another news item that I want to get to, and this speaks to the Giants' selection of Andrew Thomas with the number 4 overall pick in this past draft. Dave Gettleman made it very clear that's the guy that they targeted and that's the guy that they wanted. But just to kind of review for one second, I think there's another component here that just further enhances the fact that they made the proper decision. Dave Gettleman, as the GM, said going into the draft when he was asked about Isaiah Simmons and his versatility and his all-around athleticism, you know, what do you think about a guy like that when you're trying to put his value up on your board? And one of the things that Dave Gettleman stressed, and he couldn't have said it with uh, more emphasis, is you have to figure out with these versatility-type guys how they're going to fit into the New York Giants. Well, Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury said yesterday that although the Cardinals were very impressed with Isaiah Simmons' versatility, remember he played five different positions at Clemson, he thinks that it's better if they focus him on one position, have the flexibility to move around, but they prefer him to focus on one position and then sprinkle in the other stuff periodically. That's something that I had suggested, and I thought he'd be better as a 4-3 outside linebacker. The bottom line is you had to project how Simmons was going to be used in your scheme to figure out how you could max him out before you pulled the trigger on drafting him. The Cardinals clearly have a plan as to how they're going to use him and try to max him out. The Giants, in their minds, I'm sure that one of the things that went into their decision, although I think they were 99.9% going to take the offensive tackle that they liked anyway, I do believe that that is part of the philosophical component that would have prompted Dave Gettleman to shy away from Simmons. Well, I think when you look at the teams that were surrounded at the top five, okay, I think every one of those teams had an idea where they would play him, aside from maybe the Bengals. <laughs> so, you know, but my point is that you have to, because I feel like there's so many different guys in the NFL that could do what Isaiah Simmons brought to the table. They can play multiple positions. Right. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to be a guy. You want to be a you want to specialize. You want to hone your skills into one certain position and make and do the best you can at that. And then it, rather than be the jack of all trades. Now, is it good well, that you can. Well, well, listen, some people I, thought, though, Jeff, that you were taking away his value if you start to hone him in on one spot. 
I, I happen to disagree with that, but there I are totally some people disagree. who thought that. Yeah, I totally disagree with it because it's about it's a matter of philosophy, and obviously the Cardinals' philosophy is not that one. They're gonna they're gonna concentrate on him, whether he's gonna be an outside linebacker or he's gonna put his hand in dirt. I don't know, but the fact is is that I feel like too many teams. Uh, figured out that they could just they're, they're, they knew where they were going to use him. The Giants knew where they would use him. They you know so um, listen they went out and got a safety so they wouldn't have had to keep him there. Um, but I I agree with you, Paul. I feel like you know the they just under you got to be able to to concentrate on one position, do well at it. Okay, and if you have to sprinkle them in here a week or two at a different position, that's great. But your your one position is going to be this, and let's make it good because the NFL is already hard enough. It's already hard enough to learn one position rather rather than learn two or three. There mm-hmm. you go. Okay, we move on to Twitter, and folks, as always, you can hit us up at hashtag Giants Chat, or you could uh, go to at Jay Fegels or at Giants WFAN. We start out with at RG Knickerbocker. Says, coming out of college, what is the difference scouting-wise between Landon Collins and Xavier McKinney? Well, I think just for starters, uh, McKinney more athletic, speedier, quicker, faster, a little bit better in terms of man-to-man coverage type. Collins, the bigger body, stronger, more physical, a little bit more in the box guy as opposed to a set of field guy. Yeah, 100%. Um, I don't see um, Landon Collins lining up in the slot against a receiver. I can see McKinney doing that. Um, I also feel like McKinney can play center field way better than uh, Jabril Peppers. Um, One thing about both of them is they both can make big plays. They really can. They're big play ability guys. And um, in the return game, um, also in you know defending, they can knock balls down, uh, force fumbles, interceptions, things like that. So um, Patrick Graham will use these guys in different situations, but they're going to use them to where their skill set and they're a little bit different from each other. Um, but you're going to like both of them. I think they're going to complement each other very, very well in this system. I'm excited to see when they get on the field. I really am. Interesting to note, Collins in his first year with the Redskins last year, again, playing strong safety, which is where he played mostly for the Giants, did not have any interceptions for only the second time in his career. And in terms of getting after the quarterback, only Mm -hmm. one sack and three quarterback hits. Numbers that, you know, certainly belie the fact that back in 2016, he was an all NFL selection because he was doing virtually everything that you could do to disrupt an offense when he was with the Giants. Yeah, and you know, listen, you, you kind of miss him because he was, you know, he didn't he didn't make a lot of big plays, but you know, he forced a lot of fumbles. Um, he made a lot of big tackles. He was a great tackler. He still is. Um, McKinney, I we don't. He's another good tackler. So it is. You shouldn't compare the two. And I, and I was I was talking a little bit more about Jabril Peppers than I was Landon Collins because I, like I said, I'm mm-hmm. excited about seeing those two play together. But the comparison of the two. Uh, just probably more because they came from Alabama, Paul. That's probably why people are going to compare them. <laughs> okay, John Lyons. Uh, All right, John Lyons, what do you got for us? Well, he's at John Lyo, and then he's got a whole bunch of numbers behind, which I, I, I don't know exactly what they mean behind his name. But in any event, John, we appreciate your comments. And he is talking about how optimistic he is about the NFL being able to put forth a season after reading that Major League Baseball is going to try to do something around the 4th of July to get an 80-game schedule uh, going. 82 games, by the way. They is it 82 now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. it's 82. 
Um, again, I, this is this is all. It's at least they're moving forward, right, Paul? At least they have an agreement that this is what's going to happen. Um, you know, I think all these leagues around the country are getting together and trying to figure out a way to do it. I heard, I read on Twitter today that I think the soccer league is going to get together in Florida, all of them, and play there. Can you imagine that? It's like twenty-four teams. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, this is just a weird time, and um, I don't know what to expect, Paul. I really don't. I hear you, Jeff. It I is... mean, it's, it's day-to-day, right? I mean, we're hearing stuff, uh, it, you know, what's the NFL going to look like with with, fa- with no fans? It um, is totally fluid. Yeah, it's, exactly. I mean, we could get a, a breakthrough in, in a week from now when it changes everybody's plans. Um, we just hope we can see it on some level. That doesn't mean games, right? Sooner mm-hmm. or later. Sooner or later. At the Giants' man... I'm glad you're reading these, hash- these these handles, not me. Well, he says, don't sell Darnay Holmes short. Holmes was the fourth-round pick, uh, a corner out of no. UCLA. He says, would it be surprised if he challenges DeAndre Baker? Now, Baker, of course, is last year's first-round pick out of Georgia. He says, uh, Holmes is fundamentally flawless, according to Deion Sanders. And you know, Deion is one of his mentors. That is Holmes' mentor, not Giants Man's mentor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to make sure we got that right. Uh, he says, uh, not sure you could say that about Baker, Ballantyne, or Beal. Plus, he has a bit of dog in him. Says, uh, you could, you could think of him as more than just a slot or nickel corner. Mm. Well, we know he played. We, we heard. We heard from uh, one of our interviews about him. And Well, Jerry Azanaro, the Jerry UCLA defensive right. coordinator, mm-hmm. who was very high on Holmes, but did think that, you know, he would be best fit in the NFL as a yeah. slot. Yeah. And, you know, in college football, if you are that field corner, as we call it, the guy that's going to play, there's a lot of responsibility. And you got to be pretty good to handle that position by yourself, and he did in college. Um, so yeah, could he challenge him? I, I, you know, he'll challenge. That's what you want. You want competition there. But I think, for the most part, the Giants drafted him to be a good nickel corner, um, a guy that can cover and eventually maybe move into one of those corner positions. You never know. We'll see. We'll see. One of the things you have to be concerned about is he's only 5'10 and does not have great length Mm -hmm. for his size. And, Jeff, you know as well as I do, offensive coordinators, they salivate at a taller versus smaller guy matchup out on the boundary. Yeah, and especially if you have a quarterback that can throw that back shoulder or even throw the ball where he wants it high. And if he doesn't have the reach, um, that's just a mismatch that you want up every day. So, um, you know, can the guy – can he get over that? Maybe, but, I mean, on paper, it's probably something you don't want to see. We've got somebody uh, at Eli Manning, HOF, says, uh, you give up on talent all the time when guys cause distractions, and you have to understand that whatever comes with having a great player can sometimes hurt your team. He is more concerned about the locker room dynamic and I think we can understand that Joe Judge is going to be extremely concerned with the locker room dynamic. Yeah. he's Listen, Joe Judge, there's not going to be too many um, chances with Joe Judge. Uh, he comes from an area up there north of us where there isn't many chances given from that head coach up there on how things are done. Um, it's either my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of times coaches will give these guys a little bit of a leash Um but not long for Joe, Joe Judge. I don't see it happening. Um, and by the way, you look at the type of character 
and the guys that they have brought in here and drafted. Um, that's a big part of his makeup of this locker room. So, you know, can one of them go crazy and, and go sour on you? Of course. But by doing your due diligence and, and doing your interviews as much as you could, uh, the guys they drafted obviously are good character, high-energy people that you're going to like to have in the locker room. That's for sure. I mean, listen, McKenney's a guy that we've been, we've been told is a great locker room guy. Yes. So it's going to be a good addition to that back seven. You know, guys that can come in there, and we already know Peppers is a, is a leader. Um, you've got Blake Martinez coming in here, who obviously wears the C on his on his uh, chest over there in Green Bay. He's another guy that's going to be a, a good leader. So look what I'm saying. It's built. This, this locker room is being built by good people, and that comes with Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge understanding the character in these guys. Alex Wilson says linebacker O'Shane Zimenez will see an increased amount of snaps in 2020. Yes, After an underrated rookie season, Zimenez is primed to break out this year. Now, to clarify, last season he had four and a half sacks as a rookie uh, coming uh, to the Giants, and I'm looking at his snap count, 45% of the defensive snaps for Zimenez last year. Uh, after they drafted him out of Old Dominion, an FCS school, which we knew it was going to take some time for yep. him to make that jump. And he's young. Another young guy, right? So um, here's what I'm excited, too, about the linebacking position. You've got some good coaches there. Kevin Shearer, uh, Brett Bilma. I think that's how you probably – that's why I'm going to say his last uh, name. Bilma, okay, <laughs> whatever. Bilma. Bilma. Now, and you've also got – you got um, – Patrick Graham, who coached that position with the line with the Packers. Yes, right? he did. So, so you got to be excited about how the X man is going to be put in a position to succeed by those three coaches. Um, and it's ironically, it's kind of interesting. The Giants have two linebacker coaches. They have an inside linebacker coach and an outside linebacker coach. Um, well, they did last year too. But I'm saying it's kind of it, it's interesting because. You know, back in the day, there was the linebacker coach. He coached every position. Uh, back in the day, you had only a handful of assistant That's coaches. Right. Now, now you, you have an entire town they full of them. Right? Yes, they, they are. Specialize. They specialize in those edge rushers. They specialize in yes. those little linebackers. Yes. And that's what I'm saying. You know, even coaches specialize nowadays. Fireside Giants says, we have reason to be excited about this group for the first time in a while. He loves the youth of the Giants secondary. The youth? The Utes. The Utes. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 that's a good point. I also, you know, the, the youth of this whole team um, ex- should excite you. Uh, when you look at that young offensive lineman, other than Solder, um, you know, I mean, Zeitler is not a, you know, he's certainly not. Well, he's only 30. Long in the tooth, but he's, you know, he's, he's he, you know what I'm saying? So um, I, I feel like, yeah, I think that's a great thing to say to get excited about that position and and i'm excited about the defense because i think patrick graham is going to bring a different dynamic uh he's a extremely extremely smart individual um and he's going to go along with the joe judge philosophy of week by week we're changing our 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 defense there's going to be different types of schemes we're going to run up with matchups so it just depends on where people are going to play and that comes with that versatility that we've talked about paul uh for months now with these guys they're all able to play different positions when they need to. It's going to be fun. Well, let's talk about the youth in that secondary just a second before we sign off, Jeff, because yeah. you look at Jabril Peppers. Okay. It seems like he's been playing for a no. long time because those of us in the New York metropolitan area, oh, especially yeah. in New Jersey, know him so well That's right. because he was a dominant high school player. In mm-hmm. fact, I think he won a number of National High School Player of the Year awards. 
before he went to Michigan. He goes there, and he's just garnering headlines left and right with the Wolverines, becomes a first-round pick for the Browns. So it seems as though he's been playing football in the NFL for about 10 years, but he really has only been in the league for three. I know. It's amazing to me. He's only 24 years old, (laughs) which means the oldest member of the Giants secondary is James Bradbury, who signed as a free agent this offseason from the Panthers at 26. Yeah, that's a mute, right? That's a mute. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's going to be funny because, you know, when you get a lot of those young guys around like that, it's uh, (laughs) – Well, Jerome Henderson's got his hands full, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, you got to be excited about that because, you know, if if they can get together and become uh, a really good group of players, uh, that could be um, the secondary can stick together for a while. They really can. The thing that we mentioned, though, about Henderson, which is going to help him, is that he had a lengthy NFL career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at at, uh, at only age 50, he just turned uh, 50 this, this past summer, uh, he's not exactly, uh, you know, a, a grandpa in that room. Sure. He, he can still relate to those guys having played so long in the NFL and then having been a coach for a number of years since. I do, and, he, and quite frankly, he looks a lot younger than he is. Well, he's in great shape. And, he really? Uh, oh, have you seen him? I think he could go out there and still be a gunner on special teams. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the other thing, too, about these guys is that, you know, a lot of these coaches just don't just show up at the Giants' doorstep their first day and become an NFL coach. They've, they've been, they have, uh, you know, they have done their time, and they've been around young players. So, you know, they're used to these people. They're used to the guys. They're used to kind of things that are going on. Um, a lot of them... You know, age 50 and under have have um, teenage kids that are in college or even high school. So they get the whole social media deal. They get all that stuff. Now, the one thing that I thought interesting about Sullivan's interview is the fact that he's now into recruiting at the college level uh, with social media stuff. That's a big jump for Sully. I mean, that's a guy that's in his 50s that hasn't had to do a lot of that social media stuff being a pro football coach. No, college is a college is all about social media and recruiting. You got to follow the coach, and then the coach can DM you. You know, back in the day when my when my boys were getting recruited, there was a way around. You know, the NCAA came out and said you cannot text Paul. No texting. So you know how they got around it? You followed somebody on Twitter, and then you DM'd them, direct message them, and you could text around them. So it's unbelievable. If you don't know how to do this stuff, forget about it. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness! So it's just—it's just really how naive is the NFL or excuse me, the NCAA to say there's no texting? Did they not know about instant, you know, instant messaging on or DMing on Twitter and Instagram? (laughs) Where there's a will, there's a way, Jeff. Just remember that. And by the way, as an offshoot to that, and I know we're running just a tad long, I do want to mention something that I thought Joe Judge has said, and it kind of relates to this. He thinks that one of the ways that his players can bond through this virtual offseason is by playing video games across the Internet, which I must confess I don't know anything about because I don't participate. Mm-hmm. But apparently it's a very big deal for guys to hook up their video games online and be able to play across the, the Ethernet lines. Mm-hmm. And this is a source of camaraderie, and he encourages this amongst yeah. his players. Well, first of all, listen. I have, uh, I have, you know, they're no longer teenagers. All my kids are in their 20s, but they play video games. And right now with, with the pandemic and them staying home and only being able to be here, it's the one way they can only connect with their friends. 
And um, as much as a parent, it drives you crazy because they're in the basement playing video games all day. Um, you know, you got to give them a little slack because they, it's the way they have to connect with their friends. And, you know, the friends, they're so important to the, to the young generation. They've got to be around friends. And they're either on their phones, and this is a great way of communicating is through video games. And Fortnite, that's the big one, Paul. You don't know anything about it. But, uh, you know, they can play that. They can play the Madden games. They play basketball, hockey. And they get on these group chats with, not, you know, they're with their headphones on. And it's just like they're next door. They're right next to you. They're hearing them. They're joking. They're, you know, I have to tell them to keep the language down once in a while down in the basement, you know, because they're, they're competing. Jeff, it would not surprise you, I'm sure, if I told you that my games were Pac-Man and Galaxian. <laughs> Battle, yeah, Galaxian was a great. Actually, you could remember they were on the same machine. If you, you yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember. I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I remember vividly going back to the days when I used to go ride my bike to the grocery store, and they had the Pac-Man and the and the and that what's it Galaxia? Is that what Galaxian? It is? Oh my God, I love that game. I love that game. You got the extra extended time. You know, if you get to oh, it was such. But that was so fun. Quarter, just go up into the grocery store, put your put your quarter in the game, and and man, that was fun. Those were the days. Well, with that, our quarter has run out on today's show. That's Jeff, it? wow, that going by quick. We are done, and of course, we thank. Uh, Army West Point football director of recruiting and former Giants two-time Super Bowl champion coach Mike Sullivan for his time. That was a lot of fun to catch up with him, Jeff, and to get his perspective on what's going on with the coaching staff during this pandemic. Absolutely, and uh, you know, I like to say a friend of the show. I don't know if we've had him on before, but he's a friend of us. He's always has been. He's been a great coach, and uh, anytime you can have a a coach has won two Super Bowls with the New York Giants. He's a friend of ours, right, Paul? No question about that. All right, once again, folks, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, it's hashtag GiantsChat. He is at Jay Fiegels. I am at GiantsWFAN. Or you can go to Giants.com and go through the Giants mailbag and submit your comments and questions there as well. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm Paul Tatino. We'll catch you next time.